This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to the Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. So the new MP for Kingswood after yesterday's by-elections, Damien Egan, has been mocked this week for apparently changing his accent from when he was the mayor of Lewisham to now holding the seat of Kingswood. Have a listen to this. Our borough's lucky that we've got one of the highest number of small independent businesses in the whole of London. And when Warwick took me to London, I worked my way up to become the mayor of Lewisham. So there does seem to be a change in accent. Now, all of this has got us here at the Coffeehouse Shots team thinking, do accents still matter in politics? Does a story matter? And if so, why does it matter? Um, I'm Cindy and I'm joined today by our political correspondent, James Hill, and author, former cabinet minister and MP for Mid-Bedfordshire, Nadine Doris. So, Nadine, this is a question that you've commented on before. In fact, in your resignation letter after Liz Truss became Prime Minister, you thanked Boris Johnson for never judging your accent. Had that been a frequent occurrence from other parts of the Commons? When I arrived in Westminster, I talked like that all the time. And that's how I talked. And my first PMQs, I asked my question like that. And Tony Blair leaned into Jack's jaw and he went... Who is that? And you can actually see it on the clip on the film. And that's because my accent at the time was really rare. Nobody talked like that in Westminster. Nobody. And instead of me, and I don't know how it's happened, instead of me teaching everyone else in Westminster to talk like that, I started talking like them. So now I don't talk in a West Coast accent But my accent is definitely more refined now than it was 20 years ago when I arrived in Westminster. And I was known as that. I mean, people used to call me the Scouse Mouse and all sorts of it because I'm only five foot two. And I had all sorts of nicknames amongst MPs because I talked like that for ages when I first got there. And in fact, journalists do it around, like Fraser Nelson, you know, you had certain people who knew me then will tell you, I talk like that all the time. But I just don't do it now. And it's, I mean, it does. When I get kind of like, if I'm excited and talking fast or if I get cross or like, you know, if I'm yelling at one of my daughters, it slips back in. But most of the time now, I just talk like everybody else does. And the time, kind of like nothing special, nothing unique kind of way. Do you remember thinking back now when your accent started to change or was it a conscious decision or, or was it slipping? No, so I have one of those really weird conditions where wherever I go, I can't help it. I just slip into the accent of wherever I am. So half my family live on the west coast of Ireland, which has got a really countrified, rolling kind of like accent. It's a special, it's Mayo, it's the the wild Atlantic coast and the most rural part of Ireland. And they have a very special, they call it the country way of speaking. And when I go home, I slip into that very easily and I can't help it. It just, it just happens. So nothing I do about it. And I think that's why I just started speaking when I moved down to London and into Westminster. I just began to speak like everybody else who was there. James, even though the House of Commons is meant to have MPs from all over the country, I mean, there is still one dominant accent, isn't there? Yes, the South East English accent is the most common. um, And that's to do with a number of things, as Nadine says there. I think it's being in that atmosphere, everyone has a similar accent, so you do assimilate to that naturally. 
but it's also about technology as well in the sense that, you know, we used to have the great platform oratorical tradition where you'd have these great speakers talking to mass audiences. As that really got replaced in the 60s and 70s, for instance, you had people much more used to kind of broadcast interviews. So you then have people like, uh, you know, Margaret Thatcher being educated, taught, voice coached how to lower her tone, her pitch and talk in quite a gen- generic way. And that's why you have these quite often ministers and shadow ministers, I think, often doing the morning media rounds, talking very dulcet tones <laughs> rather than, say, if you actually go back and listen to some of the early broadcasts. I mean, I think one the first election broadcast that Ramsay McDonald did, he did it from a live public meeting. And it sounds like a sort of chimp's tea party or something because everyone's <laughs> shouting and shrieking and it's very much more harsh. And you know, it's a different way of speaking. Uh, and that's why I think you have all these, um, you know, this quite fairly homogenous thing. And actually, it can be quite sad because you get, for instance, um, you know, Fiona Hill, not Theresa May Fiona Hill, but the US foreign policy expert Fiona Hill. She grew up in, in the northeast of England and she said uh, a few years ago when she was giving evidence in Congress that she uh, her career wouldn't have been possible here, she felt, because of how her accent was perceived in the 80s and 90s. So I think, I think there's an important element to that here. But of course, you know, politicians now, I think sometimes in the from the southeast, people like Tony Blair... Uh, George Osborne can often get mocked uh, for having estuary English or fake accents right. where they try and put it on just like this Labour candidate who's just been elected in Kingswood does because they try and fit in too much and that can be a bit in a kind of 24-7 media age very easy to spot point and spot out. Like, like when David Cameron calls someone mate and you're thinking you've never naturally called anyone mate in your whole life. Exactly a bit of mockney rhyming slang kind of thing as well. Um, and Nadine, is, is there some kind of power dynamic here as well? You know, you, you mentioned that instance of Tony Blair and New Labour lot kind of scoffing at you a little bit for having an accent that they perceived as coming from a different no, 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 background. No, no, I don't think. No, no, I don't think Tony Blair was scoffing at me. Mm. I think it was just that I was such a rare bird when I arrived mm. in a bed when I arrived in <laughs> Westminster that I think he was absolutely gobsmacked that somebody would be standing up from the conservative benches speaking in a strong Scouse accent. You could see he was like, what? Yeah. And um, yeah, I think we even recorded the clip. Like, when was it? 2005. So it's like 18 years ago. And um, yeah, you can actually see him literally in Jack's draw and go, who is that? Because it was such a rare thing. So he wasn't scoffing. He was just surprised mm. that somebody would be, an MP would stand up and speak with a full accent. Sure. And, and do you think that the way you speak changes how you're received by people who listen to you in in politics yeah I think there's there's yeah it's very much the case you know as a woman in politics as well if you're a woman in politics and you're blonde and you come from Liverpool and you're born a council I mean you've just got nothing going for you when you get to where everything is against you including the way you speak so it's a handicap you could do without you know but yeah, it's it has a, a big impact, yeah, on how people regard you from the second you open your mouth. So, yeah, of course it matters. But, you know, there should be people in Westminster who speak in all and every accent. And, like, no, don't be too harsh on the candidate who's just been, like, they're going through the most overwhelming time of their life at the moment. So it's a bit mean to be harsh on them for the way they're speaking and picking on things like that already. And I blame the media, you know, largely for that. This poor person is just like, had their world blown apart at the moment. So it's just, you know, I totally forgive them for however they're speaking. But what I would say is that the nicest people I know in Westminster speak with the poshest accents. Okay, interesting. Yeah. 
Just on the question of Damien Egan, he has come out and said, you know, I may have a slightly different accent when I'm at home near people who I grew up next to, near my family, near my friends, than when I do, you know, when I'm in London, which I can understand, you know, is a kind of slipping into things, isn't it, as well? Yeah, and before um, this, we were having an interesting discussion with our colleague, Kate Andrews, a proud American, and she was saying, you know, in the States that it's not so much of an issue there in terms of your accents. You know, if anything, candidates, presidential candidates particularly, are encouraged to be, you know, lay claim to heritage from multiple different states. Hopefully, you'll you know strike a chord with the voters there and win them over particularly key swing states here i think it's much more about class and place and location as nadine was saying there uh, and people do ca- can pigeonhole you uh, to some extent which which can be uh, quite concerning I, I i do think in 2019 one of the refreshing things after that landslide victory for boris johnson was hearing suddenly conservative arguments conservative mm. politicians being made by people on the government benches and by you know people with blue rosettes you know suddenly you had people in the red wall uh, areas uh, speaking uh, from behind a conservative prime minister rather than opposing him so that was um uh, very interesting. I, I do also think that you know the key divide is going to be in terms of sometimes those Scottish accents as well. And there was a, an infamous occasion a few years ago when one of the, the government ministers couldn't understand uh, David Lyndon's accent, uh, which went just viral online. Yeah, we can listen to a bit of it here, actually. Much, uh, Mr Speaker, I know from speaking to a number of parliamentary colleagues that there are still certain aspects of the estate, including the northern estate, that are not great for people with disabilities. Can I ask yeah, yeah. the honourable gentleman what work is being done to make sure that this place is more accessible, particularly for some of our colleagues? who have a disability. Here, here. I'm sorry, it must be something to do with my antipathy and background. Could you please repeat the question because I didn't follow it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, very popular today. Um, I, I'm saying that a number of parliamentary colleagues who have disabilities do find it quite difficult getting around certain parts of the state. Given that we're doing this refurbishment work, what can be done to make sure that those with a disability are, are able to move around more freely and the place is accessible? I'm really sorry. Please, could you do it very slowly and then oh, no. in English? Thank you. Just give me old answer. I'll take the answer. I think the answer might be helped if you can reply in writing when you'll read. Uh, so I think uh, the importance, first of all, of listening to all your colleagues' contributions in the House of Commons, uh, but also uh, how also I think place and region is very important in these times of cultural and identity. Uh, and I think something we're going to see of more in the 2020s. Yeah, I mean, I, I was also struck by um, Rishi Sunak has made a point in a recent ITV documentary that actually his mum the way he said it was, his, my mum never wanted me to have an accent because as first-generation first immigrants, his parents wanted him to fit into the local area, but actually not just a local area, but a southeast English accent. So I, I, I do wonder if the, the ethnic diversity of Parliament now also means that a lot of immigrants are trying to put on what they see, think is received pronunciation. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I do it too <laughs> as an immigrant. Um, and and it's, it's a bit of an integration method. Yeah, and of course, I think up you know the 50s and 60s, a lot of sort of uply mobile, lower middle class uh, working class children were given um, voice coaching you know to try and educate them in mean, some one famous instance was you know Barbara Windsor who never actually uh, was very grateful the fact that she the voice coaching didn't actually work and she was able to carry on with her very distinctive accent and it proved to be the making uh, of her career so I think sometimes you've got to be careful when you talk about sort of posh accents mm. or, or so-called I mean you know John, John Major for instance was from a pretty working class background um, wasn't exactly posh but certainly spoke well um, and sometimes you wouldn't think he was the boy from Brixton as it were Absolutely. And 
Nadine, you know, you mentioned just now that uh, the, the, some of the best people you know in, in Parliament had the poshest accents. And that, that brings me on to the question of trustworthiness. You know, it's frequently a pollster question about which accents uh, in the UK are the most trustworthy. Do you think that actually in politics or when it comes to how voters perceive you, however, however much they trust you in terms of whatever accent you have, has that changed over time in the sense that previously it used to be a certain type of accent and now actually if you have two posh an accent, people are naturally a little bit sceptical of you, at least at first hearing? I wouldn't know. I know I don't do polling and I don't actually focus on accents, so I don't ask people if they trust somebody more or less because of their accents. I don't really know the answer to that. I think, you know... I think people who act with integrity and people who are kind and do well by others and are kind towards others, I think that's how people are judged. I think people are judged by their actions, not by their accents. I mean, obviously, I can see accent can be a barrier, but I think it's a barrier which is easy to punctuate by your actions. And I think, you know, we've seen people in Parliament with incredibly incredibly well-spoken who have acted in a disappointing manner and we've seen people in parliament with you know very strong regional accents who've acted in a way which is full of honor and principle and vice versa so it's what people do and what they say not the accent they say it in which is what counts and I think that's how politicians are judged um, we have lots of, you know, you're quite right to point out that following the 2019 election, we have a lot of MPs with on the Conservative benches who, you know, they nobody would point at them today and say, who is that? Because there are so many of them with so many regional accents and it's, it's a wonderful thing to behold. Um, in my day, it was just me. Now that, you know, there are lots of them and it's great. Sadly... I'm afraid that's probably going to change at the next general election if the by-election results are anything to go by. And I say that because they're by-election results in an election year close to a general election. If that's anything to go by, then we're going to revert back to however many Conservative MPs we have left, which may not be many. I noticed the swing was 28% in one of those seats. Um, Those seats will probably be focused in the South East and we'll be back to a Conservative party of refined accents. James and Nadine, thank you so much for joining Coffee House Shots.